Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. One of the awe-inspiring truths that we learn about God from the Bible is that God is omnipotent. Now the word omnipotent is an English word that is derived from two Latin words that when you put them together, they simply mean all-powerful. Wayne Grudem refers to this doctrine about God and he says this about it, that it reveals that God has all-power to do what he decides to do. God is all-powerful. Say that out loud with me. God is all-powerful. Say it one more time like you mean it this time. God is all-powerful. It's one of the great truths we learn from the Bible about God that should inspire awe and wonder in us. And that's not just true in our day. Throughout the history of humanity, followers of God have been inspired and filled with awe when they reflect on the great power and majesty of God. There's one writer in the scriptures whose name is Jeremiah. We know him as the weeping prophet in the Old Testament. And there was a point in Jeremiah's life where Jeremiah was in awe and filled with wonder at the power and the majesty of God. Let me show it to you on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17. Look what this verse says. Ah. Lord God. Now, before I even read the rest of the verse, that little word, A-H, ah, say it out loud, ah. In Hebrew, it's a word that describes great emotion, and it's motivated by a strong sense of marvel. It's to best translate it in our culture, it'd be like us saying, wow. Jeremiah is reflecting on the greatness and the power and the sovereignty of God. And he just says, wow. Look at it. Ah, Lord, God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your, say it out loud, great power and by your outstretched arm, Nothing is too difficult for you. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time 
just thinking about God, reading about God, reading God's Word. When's the last time your soul just said, Wow. You know one of the great tragedies of our day? Is we've become so familiar with God that we've lost the sense of wow. We've so reduced God down to a system of theology that we can describe in three or four points. Or we've reduced God down to something that we're comfortable relating to, that we've lost a sense of awe and wonder at the glory and the majesty and the power. When is the last time you were just sitting before God and you just said, wow! Hey, we all need a fresh sense of wow. Jeremiah was so wowed, he said, nothing. (laughs) He's so overwhelmed with how big God is. He just said, there's nothing too difficult for you. And the word nothing is a a Hebrew word that, that implies nothing as in all things, the whole But it's also a word that implies each and everything. So what Jeremiah is doing, he's looking out at at creation. He's looking at the majesty of the universe. He's overwhelmed with wonder and awe of the glory and the power of God. And he says, God, there's nothing too big. There's nothing too small. Nothing is too difficult for you. Let me give you a life-changing reality out of this. There is nothing too big for God. I don't know what you came in here with today. I don't know what you carried in here on your shoulder. I don't know what weight that you are under right now. But I want you to hear me say what they've been saying for centuries about our God. There is nothing too big for our God. There's nothing too big for our God. I wondered what Jeremiah must have been thinking as he said what he said. Because he says, wow. You made all of this. He must have been standing outside. Looking up into the heavens. Seeing all the stars. And maybe he thought, where did all this come from? If he'd have been living in today's world, he'd have done what I did this week. I googled, how many stars are there? (laughs) Now, Jeremiah didn't have that privilege, but I do. So, So I googled it. How many stars are there? First thing that came up, University of California, Santa Barbara. First link, and on their website, here's what it says. We estimate, I love that word. You know what that means? We're not real sure. We estimate 
that there are about 10 billion observable galaxies. I love that word, observable. That means, far as we can see, best we can come up with, that's about 10 billion galaxies. Here's what it says. You can look it up on your own. You Google it. How many stars are there? University of California, Santa Barbara. Assuming, I love this one, assuming there are 100 billion stars per galaxy, that means there are, get this, approximately, people get paid. They have PhDs to say we estimate there's many approximately, sort of, kind of, observably, one billion trillion stars. Let me show you that in a number form. Don't miss the word observable. They say, hey, that's just all we can see. We don't have stuff that'll let us see past the first hundred billion trillion. Now, 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 wrap your head around this. What, what if we wanted to get on a rocket and travel to the first one? Not 100 billion, million, trillion, nine. I'm talking about number one. Let's say we just planted a rocket under us this morning, and we're just going to travel into outer space right here together. Buckle up, Right? The fastest thing we've ever spent in outer space was Helios 2 in 1976. Helios 2 traveled. It was an unmanned aircraft traveling 150,000 miles per hour. If we could today shoot ourselves into outer space traveling 150,000 miles per hour, do you know how long it'd take us to get to star number one? 18,000 years. You imagine? There it is, one. 18,000 years later. One hundred billion trillion. Jeremiah didn't have Google and he didn't have telescopes, but he just stood out there and went, one. Two, man, there's a lot. Wow! You made all of this. And then he reached a conclusion. There's nothing too difficult for you. In comparison to the bigness of God and His power, everything in my life is small, even the big stuff. From Genesis to Revelation, we see evidence of the omnipotence of God. From Genesis to Revelation, we see testimony upon testimony of the power 
of God. One of the ways we see the omnipotence of God demonstrated is in the miracles that Jesus performed while he was on earth. Let me tell you what a miracle is. Miracles are the extraordinary power of God unleashed in the middle of our everyday lives. When that happens, you know what we say? (laughs) That's a miracle. The extraordinary power of God unleashed in the middle of our everyday lives. We have to just step back and say, wow, how's a miracle? Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you need the extraordinary power of God unleashed in your everyday life. Anybody in the room could need that today. For the next four weekends, we are going to examine some of the miracles that Jesus performed. And we're going to learn some characteristics in the lives of those people who experienced God's extraordinary power in their everyday lives. We've called the series Miracles. Extraordinary Power, Everyday Life. We're going to look at four examples. We're going to start this morning in Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. There are over 30 recorded miracles of Jesus in the New Testament, so we could have done this for 30 weekends, but we just picked out four. And we're going to examine some characteristics from these people's lives that allowed them to experience the extraordinary power of God in their everyday lives. But I want you to hear me carefully at the beginning. Everybody look this way, all right? You can find Mark 5 in just a minute. Look this way. I need you to hear me carefully. If you're listening, say amen. Amen. If the person next to you didn't say amen, tell them, pay attention. (laughs) We cannot, we cannot manipulate God onto our agenda. This is not a series entitled, How to Get Your Miracle. We will not be selling cloths. We will not be distributing bottles of oil. That's not what we're doing here. Do not confuse what we're talking about over these four weekends with some cheap gospel that you see preached on television. That is not what we are saying. I want you to hear me carefully. Because when you say miracles, people immediately, listen, hear me, that is not what we are saying. We cannot manipulate God onto our agenda, but here's what we can do. 
We can learn some characteristics that invite God's power into our lives should He choose in His sovereign will to display His glory in that way in our everyday life. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to learn some of these characteristics. We're going to try to bring them into our lives, but then we're going to submit to the sovereign will of God, understanding His plans better than my plan. Everybody's got that. Say amen. Amen. Mark chapter 5. Let's read it. Beginning in verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and seeing him, fell at his feet, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Now, that's not the miracle we're going to study today, all right? It's here, but I wanted to read that to set up what's happening next because this is the story we're going to look at. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. So here's Jesus walking through the streets, a throng, multitudes of people, hundreds of them crowding in around him. Verse 25, and a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years... And had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. I love this phrase. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch His garments, I will get well. Immediately the flood, the the, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garment? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who? they're like saying, Lord, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? Verse 32, and he looked around to see the woman who had done this. They said, Jesus, everybody's touching you. He said, oh, no, 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 listen. Somebody touched me. Verse 33. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. In the minutes that we have left, I want you to see three realities in this passage of Scripture. Number one, life can be difficult. For 12 years, this woman had lived a difficult life. Don't miss that. We hear a lot of talk about miracles, and we think it's this microwave moment. For 12 years, 
over a decade. You see, God created a beautiful world. But sin entered into this world and marred that which God has made. I love the way J.C. Ryle said it. Look on the screen. Sin is the cause of all the pain and disease in the world. God did not create us to be ailing and suffering creatures. It was sin and nothing but sin which brought in all the ills the flesh is heir to. Now, he's not saying there that anybody who's going through a difficult time, it's because of something they did, their sin. What he's saying is that humanity and creation as a whole are theologically under what we call the fall of humanity. When sin entered into the world, creation fell under the curse of sin. One application of that is disease and sickness and hardship and death. Life can be difficult. This woman was hurting. She was sick. For 12 years, she'd been hemorrhaging. She'd been bleeding internally. Left her weak and anemic. She'd been abused by doctors, the Bible says. The word that Mark uses here, she'd endured much. It's a word that literally means to suffer. It's the same word that was used of Jesus in the later parts of the gospel when he went through the suffering, the passion of the Christ, the crucifixion. That word passion comes from this word endured. It's the word that means to suffer here. She had gone through a lot because doctors in this particular situation had mismanaged her care. She'd spent every dime she had. She didn't have any money left. She'd exhausted it all on every remedy that was offered. And the Bible says it's not only that she wasn't any better, she was actually worse. One writer said she'd lost her health, her wealth, and because of the nature of her illness, also her standing in society. Because she was a woman in this day and age, in this culture, with a sickness like this, she would have been declared unclean and unfit to live in community with others. She would have been alienated and ostracized. Her situation was completely hopeless. You ever been at a difficult place in life? Maybe you're here this morning. And right now you're in a difficult place. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your relationship with your kids. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your financial situation. But as you sit here this morning, you feel like this woman. Maybe for days, maybe for weeks, maybe for months, maybe for years. And maybe you're thinking, I didn't think Christians were supposed to go through this. Listen, that's a lie. Don't believe that. Matter of fact, listen to what Peter said. Peter said, Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. 
He said, don't be surprised. There are times when life gets difficult. Can I get a witness? There are times when life gets difficult. But then she heard about Jesus. What a great transition in the text. Verse 26, she'd endured much. She'd spent all she had. She wasn't helped at all, but rather had gotten worse. Verse 27, oh, but after hearing about Jesus, she was physically, emotionally, and financially drained until she heard. About Jesus. You, you know what I thought as I read that? I wonder who told her. You ever thought about that? Who, who told her? Was it a relative? Was it a friend? Maybe it's just a stranger passing by. You know what else I thought? How, how many people do I pass by every day just like that? And all they need to go from hopeless to hopeful is just to hear about the man that can change their life. After she heard about Jesus, let me tell you what happened. A flame of faith was birthed inside of her. Wasn't perfect faith. We don't have time to unpack all of the reasoning here in the text, but, but let me just tell you, it wasn't perfect faith. Let me tell you what it was. It was desperate faith. That's the second reality I see here. Faith must be desperate. Her faith was desperate. If you and I are going to experience the extraordinary power of God in our everyday lives, our faith must be desperate. You say, well, what does desperate faith look like? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you some characteristics of desperate faith. Number one, desperate faith is fixed. The word fixed in the dictionary is a word that means something that is fastened in one position so that it does not move. Her faith was fixed. Her faith was not in a method. Her faith was not in her faith. God help us. You ever heard anybody say that? Well, if you just had enough faith, that's not faith in God, that's faith in faith. Her faith was not in a method. Her faith was not in her faith. Her faith was fixed on Jesus. She said, if I can just touch him. Desperate faith is also urgent. She didn't view Jesus as an option. 
she viewed Jesus as her only hope. Too many times we get in difficult situations. and We come to the table and we lay our difficult situation on the table and we begin to lay all the options. Well, there's Jesus. But there's this and this and this and this. If it gets really, 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 really bad, then we'll start taking these other things off the table. Her faith was urgent. Let me tell you what she basically was saying. If God's not God, I'm dead. here's what's sad that's the way we should always live as Christians not just in difficult times because Jesus said apart from me you can do what nothing isn't it interesting apart from him we can do nothing but nothing is too difficult for him that's pretty good right there There should be an urgency about our lives to live moment by moment in dependence on Jesus for everything. Desperate faith number three is persistent. I don't know how long it had been since she heard about Jesus. But the wording of verse 28 implies that some time had gone by. Look at verse 28. It says, For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. You see that phrase, she thought? The word thought there is literally the Greek word for speaking. And the tense that is used here describes ongoing, continuous action that had happened in the past up until this moment. It could literally be translated like this. She kept saying to herself over and over and over. Ever since she heard about Jesus, she didn't know how to get to Jesus. She didn't know where Jesus was. She didn't even know who Jesus is. She just had had somebody tell her about Jesus, and she just kept saying to her every minute of every day, every day of every week, every week of every month, if I can just get to Jesus. There was a persistence about her faith. You see it in what she said. You see it in what she did. There was a crowd pressing in on Jesus. And here's this little weak, anemic, sick, outcast woman. And she is just pushing her way through that crowd. She is not going to let anybody keep her from Jesus. Desperate faith is persistent. Desperate faith is expectant. If I can just touch him, I will get well. Notice what she didn't say. I might. She clearly expected God to move in her life. It's expectant. Now, it wasn't demanding. I will get well was future. In its construction, in the text. It meant, hey, if I can just get to him, I don't know if it'll be today. 
I don't know if it'll be tomorrow. I don't know if it'll be next week, next month, next year, or sometime out in eternity. But let me tell you what I know. If I can just get to him, he'll unleash his power in my life. This is not coming to him in a demanding way where we move God onto our agenda. It's believing the promise of God that he's spoken to his people that he will provide and unleash his power in our lives. That's exactly what she did. Her life was a living expression of Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Look at it on the screen. It says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Here's what she did. She said, I believe that he is, and I believe that he'll do what he said he would do. All I got to do is get a hold of his garment. She came through that crowd. Listen to the way D. Edmund Hebert writes about faith. Faith is that wholehearted attitude of a full and unquestioning committal to and dependence upon God as He has revealed Himself to us in Christ Jesus. I love this. It is the proper human response to the goodness of God. What's faith? It's just the right response to the goodness of God. When we approach God with our petitions, we must believe not only in His ability to grant our requests, but also in His willingness to answer in harmony with His character and purpose. It's why the writer of Hebrews said that we could draw near with confidence. We could draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and help in time of need. Desperate faith is expectant. Here's the fifth one. Desperate faith is bigger than me. You see, Verse 33 says that when Jesus turned, she came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. You see, she understood that God's activity in her life wasn't just about her need, but it was about his glory. If it had been just about her when she got healed, she could have just left. But she fell at his feet so that everybody knew it's his glory that this is about. It's bigger than me. Life can be difficult. Faith must be desperate. Here's the last thing. Desperate faith in difficult times invites the extraordinary power of God into my everyday life. Did you hear what it said? Immediately, immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up. And Jesus looked at her and said, Daughter, it's interesting. This is the only place in the entire New Testament where this word is used to refer to a female in this way. The only place it's used. Here's what that tells me. God was moved by her faith. I can't explain everything I know about that. But God was moved 
by her faith. So here's the way I want to bring this to a close today. I want to share two final thoughts with you. Here's the first one. Today, you can experience God's power. Look at this quote by J.C. Ryle. Christ has not changed since the day when this woman was healed. He is still generous and still powerful to save. Today, you can experience the power of God. You say, Pastor, why don't, why don't we see more of the power of God in our church context in North America like we see in other parts of the world? Why don't we see it? Let me tell you, I believe why. Because we got a lot of crowds pressing in, but very few grabbing hold of the hem of the garment. There's a whole lot of people in the crowd that day that went home and didn't experience the power of God. They were in the same place with the same person at the same moment. But there was only one who in desperate faith grabbed a hold of the hem of his garment and was changed. Desperate faith's not perfect faith. fixed it's urgent it's persistent it's bigger than me she didn't care what anybody thought she didn't care what anybody was going to say today you can experience the power of God maybe today maybe today as you sit here you're lost You've never been forgiven of God. You've never experienced salvation. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't know what it is to have a relationship with God. Let me tell you something. Today, you can experience the power of God in salvation. You may have come in here lost and separated from God, but you can leave today having been born again into relationship with God through the saving power of Jesus. All you have to do is grab a hold of the hem of his garment in desperate faith. Maybe today what you need is God to touch your body. Maybe you need physical healing. Let me tell you what I know. God's going to heal you. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be next week. It may be when he comes back. But let me tell you what I know. You're not going to be like this forever. He is, and he's going to do what he said he was going to do. Maybe today's the day you just come grab a hold of the hem of his garment. And in desperate faith, Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you walked in here today. Your marriage is on the brink of disaster. 
you know it, your spouse knows it, your kids know it, maybe your neighbors even know it. And you've walked in here today with your last hope. Hey, let me invite you today. Just grab the hem of his garment. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your finances. We could stand here all day and go through them. Are you ready in desperate faith? Here's what we're about to do. We're going to have some pastors that are going to be standing here at the front today. They're going to join me here now. We're going to take these two sections of steps. One here on this side. Over on this side. Turn it to an old-fashioned altar. Be real honest, we're going to just turn it into the hem of the garment today. But we can just come grab a hold in fixed, urgent, persistent, desperate, God glorifying, God honoring, Christ exalting faith, believing God to be who He said He is and to do what He said He would do. We've got pastors here. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you're ready to by faith trust Christ and be born again into relationship with God, be forgiven of your sin, you come take one of these pastors by the hand and say, I need Jesus today. We'd be honored to have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can be born again into relationship with God. If you're walking through something and you just need to come get in one of these altars, you just come get in one of these altars and get along with God. If you want one of these pastors to pray over you, we'd be honored to do that. We have volunteers that'd be honored to pray over you today. Are you ready to say, I don't care what anybody thinks? I don't care what anybody says. I believe that Jesus is who he said he is and that he'll do what he said he would do. Maybe you're here and you're trapped in the bondage of drugs and alcohol and sexual sin. Hey, just grab a hold of the hem of his garment and let him set you free.